What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of? With your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I teach you how to be unstoppable too. As you know, you hang out with me, you see the different light that keeps you going and understanding that you can convert all setbacks into rocket fuel for your future and become unstoppable. Today, folks, I have Aaron Myers in the house. Aaron's a new friend of mine. I met on Clubhouse. Phenomenal person. And you know, I want to try to bring phenomenal guests to you guys. And Aaron and I had a conversation prior to me bringing him on, and I, I was just fascinated uh, by his story and what he's into. And you know, he's a jazz musician. He's a you know, former army service member. I mean, by the way, thank you for your service, Aaron. And also, you know, he's part of, he's an activist in DC, worked with the Obama organization, or a field organizer for the Obama Biden campaign back in the day. I mean, this is a lot of big stuff he's into, and I don't know how he has time to do it all. And right before we got on here, he was telling me he needs some time to just chill because he just got done an album. So I'm fired up to talk to Aaron today. Aaron, welcome to the What Are You Made Of podcast. And thank you for having me. I'm glad to be on. Now, if I read your bio to the audience, they we'd be here all day, and that, then I'd have been like, "All right, show's over," because it's a long list of things that you've gotten into, and it's phenomenal, man. I, I want to commend you on everything that you've done, but I'm sure you also feel like, man, I'm just getting started. Oh or, man, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. This is yesterday. You know, you only have right now, and there's no money in the past at all, and you can't spend the money in the future. So you only have right now, and so. As long as I'm constantly moving toward some type of goal, one of the goals I've set forth and put forth, I'm solid. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm very happy. Yeah. Now, now before I'm, we get, I'm blessed to have done the things I've done. Now, before we get too deep into that, I always start the show by asking the question, though: What are you made of? Grit. Now, grit. Why do you say pure why, grit. Why do you say grit? Tell us a little bit more. What, what only thing I've grit? seen growing up, only thing I've seen growing up is grit, and I mean, grit sometimes is associated like with John Wayne and the the movie and the, the Western and this, that, and the other. But growing up with some grandparents who were sharecroppers, uh, with a mother who became single and you know worked her tail off, and I didn't hear any complaints about either. I just heard sheer determination. And everything they did, whether it was making lunch, making dinner, or you know getting up at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning to take care of business, or taking me, or you know, working all the hours at work and doing your, your NAACP work afterwards and then coming and sit in my band recital or something of that nature still, you yeah. know, and making things happen. I'll, all I have seen is grit. I don't know life any other way. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. You know, we've all, all of us that have had achieved any kind of success, we've been through something that pushed us through to where we gotten. All right. Um, most of the time people don't experience setbacks and difficult life growing up. A lot of them, you know, they don't see a whole lot of success because when the tough times come, they, they quit. They don't know how to handle it, you know? And right. Uh, of course. Yeah. That's phenomenal. So I want to go back for a minute though. So talk about growing up in Texas. Talk about like, how, how old were you in, before you moved out of Texas? Well, you know, my family has been in Texas since the 1850s. We okay. were, 
We were descendant of uh, former enslaved Africans, of course. And the area in which my family lives is the same area they've lived in since the 1850s as well, right? So my family, we've done, my blood has done Texas. It bleeds and runs Texas all the way through. I was raised in a very small sharecropping community, Goodloe, Texas, population about 312. That was outside of a small, a, a different town, a population about 1700, which was about 14 miles east of Corsicana, our county seat, uh, which is about 24,000, which is 60 miles south of Dallas. So if you relate everything where I'm from, I'm 60 yeah. miles south and 14 miles east of Dallas, Texas. And growing up in that small town, only thing I remember is really just pride. Were we poor? Yep. Uh, but we were around, everyone else around us was, were poor as well. And I say, I say poor, I just mean as far as not having the financial access to do all the things they wanted to do and to live in the way they wanted to live and we wanted to live as far as, you know, you have mind, body, spirit, all that other stuff, you know, so they were rich in spirit, um, rich in community, rich in love, rich in culture, but very poor financially, poor financially, which does impact your quality of life. And so it was a difficult time. And I made the choice at 17 to join the military, to go there. And when I moved, when I went to the military, I was in Fort Gordon, Georgia, is where I was stationed, and I injured my back. I had to go back to Navarro County, where I came from. I did a few years of college, and then I wanted to take the talent that I've had since I was three. You know, I've played in the church since I was six years old. I became the minister of music of a church when I was 12, 13. Is that a Baptist uh, church? It was a Baptist church yep, back yep. down home, you know, and uh, I decided to go ahead and I majored in theater and business and decided to move to Hollywood and started doing some comedy in Los Angeles at the comedy store. And hold, hold, hold up. Writing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. You still yes. got some jokes? Oh, a, a few, a few, a few <laughs> here, here I and there. I your story off, but I'll let you start back where you left off here. But there's a, uh, there was a room on Clubhouse the other day, Kara, um, Kara Zimmerman was uh, uh, hosting it and it was uh, a roast room. Uh, comedians in there too, but there was some low blows going on in there. Of course, I popped my head in there because I can take it. But I, I mean, it was me and my son were in there watching. It was just rolling, man, because it was nice to be in a different clubhouse room. You know what I mean? Right. But, right. Uh, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. 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 Go ahead and continue. But I didn't know that about you. Oh, yeah. I started doing <laughs> I mean, the first comedy thing I ever saw that really inspired me outside of Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball was just a comedian, in my opinion. But like, I went to what we used to call the movie shop when mm-hmm. they used to have Blockbuster and things of that nature around it. Yeah. The owner there just took an interest in my talent and my what I enjoyed to do as far as entertainment was concerned. And I mean, when I was 13, I spent the summer developing a whole television network. I mean, and I wrote out all of the shows that would happen throughout the day and then wrote a pilot for a, a show called The Good Life. And it was going to be my primetime show. And it was a uh, starred. It was the story. The premise was three neighbors who lived next door to each other. They were all Korean War veterans, and it was a comedy, you know. And the lineup that I had in that I had John, uh, Jack, uh, uh, yeah, Jack, no, 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 Walter Matthau married to Betty White, Ruby D. Ozzie Davis, Jack Lemon married to Shirley MacLaine, and that was the <laughs> those that would have been a fantastic wow. show in my opinion, you know. Yeah. But I wrote out I wrote out the entire pilot. I was twelve or thirteen years old doing that, and I mean everything. The whole network from even to when the jets would fly at night and we would go off the air because that used to happen, you know, on mm-hmm. television. And so, um, of course, my uh, this guy, you know, got the movie shop. He saw that I had an interest in entertainment and he said, this is going to change your life. And he gave me a tape of Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> what? And this dude literally I saw I started, I played like two minutes of it. I paused it on the VCR, 
got on my house phone. I called my God brother. I was like, brother, you've got to get here now. I just found something that's going to change our lives. And he got over there to my house. We watched Richard Pryor and we could not believe that this ever existed in life. And that this type of laughter, this type of creativity was possible. And, you know, fast forward a number of years, uh, when Rich Pryor, Richard Pryor died, I was at the comedy store. We all went up to the comedy store and paid homage to him in Los Angeles. This what, about, what about Red Fox? Did you like Red Fox? Oh my gosh, Red Fox was a genius. He was an absolute <laughs> genius. Favorite, yes, I tell oh, you. Man. Red Fox was, ama- uh, was amazing, you know? Yeah. But I mean, to, those type of people really inspired. I mean, I thought entertainment was knowing how to do comedy, knowing how to dance, knowing how to act, knowing how to do music, knowing how to sing knowing how to write. That's what I was told. If you're going to be an entertainer, you should be able to do all of these things. So I have two full-length screenplays registered with the Writers Guild of America, two pilot television shows in my back pocket, you know, that I can pull out anytime if we ever need them. You know, just finished recording my fourth album. Um, I can tap dance a little bit. I can ballroom. If if need be, I can learn choreography pretty quickly. I majored in theater in school so I can I do act. I've done uh, stage work and stuff on film. So, I mean, all of these things are possible. And knowing that the talents, well, this is what I love to do. And one thing that the pandemic has uh, showed me is that this was my true calling. You know, some of the therapy that I engaged in during the pandemic was really coping with missing an audience and missing a stage mm-hmm. and understanding new ways to be able to channel that talent and channel that art so that you can actually still use it because you are the only person who can stifle your work and your spirit. You can stifle that. The world, regardless of, of circumstance, can't stifle mm-hmm. what is within you. And so uh, working with a therapist, and I always advocate for mental health uh, with a therapist and a counselor to figure out how to channel that so that I could actually be productive and not allow uh, my grieving of something that was out of my control yeah, yeah, keep me yeah, from actually doing what I needed to do. There's something shallow there about attention, like one attention, but there's also something deep because I think there's something there that's good to have mm. You know, the, the energy, like there's, see, to, there's to me, it's something like when you're performing music, comedy, whatever, you're putting out an energy, right? And then the crowd's well, response conduit. is an energy that comes back. It's a cycle. And when you're well, pushing so like, you're out by yourself, you yeah, yeah. Yeah. As a musician. So if as a jazz, and I'm the principal, so I'm the vocalist, I'm the, I played piano, of course. And then also I'm the jazz vocalist. So I'm sitting in front of the band and I'm between the band and I'm between the audience as me yeah. and I'm a conduit. So all that energy from the band is going through me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then all of the emotions of what I'm feeling is happening right there. And I'm having to be a conduit of that energy from the band from a very vulnerable place because an audience can tell if you're not real. Mm-hmm. And then what they're giving you back, you're managing, you're managing their energy as well. So I'm, I'm there as a buffer in a sense, trying to manage this. And by the end of the night, it's my job will be good if we all left speaking the same language because music is a universal language and we all come into those spaces, not coming from the same places. Yeah. So we all come from different places to sit in that place for one reason. They, the audience has faith that they paid money, that they're going to have a good time. So they already have faith in you. Yep. Your band showed up, got dressed, rehearsed the music and are sitting behind you allowing you to be the front person because they trust that you can deliver what we've already practiced and what we put out there. So when we leave, we need to come leave out speaking the exact same language, language of love, uh, the language of uh, safety. Uh, empathy, all those good things and Emotion. inspiration. Yeah. yeah. All we need to leave out s- s- uh, having that same language of encouragement, knowing that you can go so much further than you thought you could because of what you've heard tonight, that you can achieve even, even greater things uh, that you can be open to other things, other, other yeah. possibilities. 
Um, that kind of thing after you leave my show at least yeah i love it man yeah anytime i go to a concert or something there's some emotions that arise that i don't normally have outside of that absolutely venue and i love that man so you know we talked last time you went to russia yes and tell my audience about that man i mean like what what was russia like for you and how did you get there and because you know obviously we see the media and they tell tell russia tale of russia that we don't really know if it's that's true or not right Oh, yeah, actually been there around the people, the Russian people. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did uh, 24 shows in 20 different cities in six weeks, took 19 flights in six weeks. Uh, and I, I've seen more of Russia than most Russians have seen <laughs> of Russia. And Russia is just like America. There's no monolithic or one thing that defines the Russian people. Their hospitality is absolutely beyond their gratitude is something that anybody could learn from. And their work ethic is also something. When you trans, like when Russians are trying to speak in English and they're trying to do the translation in their heads, and usually we'll say, well, you know, I was tired today. They interpret that as saying that, you know, I, I, I was without power today. I was mm-hmm. low on power mm-hmm. today. That's, I found that very interesting. Going through Siberia and understanding the history of enslaved Africans in America and the serfs, in Russia was very interesting, understanding the same year that Uncle Tom's Cabin uh, was released, there was a book called, I think, Sketches from a Hunter's Notebook that was out there speaking about very similar situations. And Abraham Lincoln was uh, killed after freeing the slaves and uh, assassinated, that is, 1865. And the gentleman that was responsible for freeing the serfs there, Tsar, was also assassinated. As well, actually, with the plans of a constitution in his pocket, that was that was wow. very uh, that was very odd, you know, very, very. The timing could not have been worse for that situation. And so, being were, able were to the learn, serf, were the serfs white people? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know if yeah. the Russians went to Africa as well and took people no. from Africa. No, 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 not at all. I know the history of that. And then, uh, well, you and their, their most celebrated poet is Alexander Pushkin, who was a, a more. I keep wanting to say African American, but no, he was right. a black, you know, black Russian. Yeah, yeah. Most celebrated poet. Yep, was I've heard Alexander of him Pushkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so learning that and being able to be in that country and absorb their customs, you know, they they eat a lot of borscht. That is absolutely the truth. That's. But oddly enough, you know, you, if you go to Red Square, you're going to find two American restaurants, KFC and Subway, which is odd. You know, there's <laughs> at the end of closing, you know, closing day, you know, you're driving yeah. on the freeway. You see a KFC, there could be a line wrapped around the building to get inside KFC wow. Wow. there, you know? And so um, cer- certain things I did not see. I didn't see a home- lot of homelessness. I didn't see a bunch of people out on the street panhandling. I didn't see that at all. Yeah. Um, and, and the work ethic is up there. Like you think, like everything I hear about communism and, and all that is, is that it's going to prevent people from working hard because they make the same amount of money no matter what. Mm. You know, that's what you hear. But you didn't notice that there. No, well, I, I, I saw a lot of, they were poor financially. That was evident. Many of them, and a lot of them are working hard so they can keep up and survive, yeah. you yeah. know, and, you yeah. know, and the wealth gap is considerably great. So you have some extremely rich people. Then you have, for the most part, generally poor people. And the one thing I missed in, in America was just fresh air because you, yeah. you smell nothing but exhaust, especially in Moscow, a lot of exhaust. And you can't get a good breath of fresh air. Really? Uh, yeah, that's one thing. The air quality was not was something that was this starkly just stuck out as a vocalist specifically. Right. Just yeah. just stuck out to me in a sense, you know. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm, I I talk a lot, as you know, maybe now, but it, so I, I can feel you on that because I, when I go places like that where the air's tough, you know, I went to Denver this over the summertime and they had the fires. 
And same kind of thing there when I was going to speak. So now you mentioned before that you went to the Grammys one time, I believe, right? Did I remember that correctly? Or did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but can we get some talk about a possible Grammy for you? Like, what what do we got to do to get you in like a nomination for this album coming out or the future? Like, is that something that you even think about as a musician? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely think of it. I mean, I have everyone should have their goals, you know, and have certain things. And, you know, my goal is having an EGOT. I want to Emmy Grammy Oscar Tony. I want that to happen. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And so, um, and I've already written a speech. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I wrote the speech already. Yeah, I that's said right. I Say it once a week or so to kind of make sure I'm fresh up on it. And I won't stumble when I get up there on stage. This album will be submitted for the Grammy ballot, regardless of. So yeah. this album will be on the Grammy ballot. And we're working our pathway now to see if we can get a nomination. The nomination and the Grammy Award represents to me that I have been successful in my trade. And I was, I've been serious about what I set out to do, which means that I have had an effective marketing plan that the music has reached not only my peers, but the public, that the quality of music has been respected by my peers, so much so they feel like this award is deserving. And with those two things, you have done what you're supposed to do. You put out quality music and the music did not go unheard. It was heard by other people and people were able to resonate with the said music. And this album is called the Pride Album and it's meant to represent the lion's pride. You know, you eat together, you hunt together, you sleep together, you run the jungle together, you run the wilderness together. Wherever you are, a pack of lions will be in charge. And they're not the largest animals. They're not the smallest animals. They're not the most agile animals either, but they are the kings and queens of the jungle, of the wilderness. And so when I think of this, I think of my pride that I have, my pride are my ancestors that have already gone over. They're around me. They surround me. Their energies are no energy can be destroyed. So their energy is all around me. But the point of the music is to invite everyone else who hears it to join my pride. I want to be joined. I want to invite you to join my tribe and to be a part of me. So yeah, we, were, we will that. release that April 30th. Ironically, we released the album. And then that evening at nine o'clock, we will be releasing the video album. So we got, we, we did a, the complete album is in video form now. That's and we will be releasing that as well. So that is something that we're looking forward to. Congratulations, man. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Now, let me ask you one question here about deciding to go into music and do like focus on music or focus on a, the screenplay or, how do you decide? Like, did you just go with whatever you felt the passion for at that moment? Because you, you could no. have been an actor more and, and gone to comedy or, you know. Mm-mm. Well, what I decided to do, I picked which one did I want to grow the deepest roots in. And music was my first love. Music was first. I played the piano since I was three. So that was natural. That I needed, I needed to have my deepest roots there, understanding that the roots I grew there were meant to anchor everything else. Yeah. And so knowing that the roots there would then help open the doors for acting and for uh, comedy and for this, that, and the other, that's what that was meant to do. Yeah. I chose jazz and that for that reason. Now this past year was very, very high tension and, you know, coming from a family that had in, you know, crop shares and originally back in the day in 1800s, actually slaves, you know, to me, man, like I grew up in a place where there was some racist people and I never felt that way. 
I always went to the to everyone and hung out with everyone, and I'd get my ass kicked sometimes for doing that. <laughs> and if by both white people and black people, it is what it is. But I just kept to my values, and I always thought, like, you know what, man, I want to hang out with everybody. I love everybody. Like, you know, there's funny people to hang out with. There's people that make you feel warm. There's not people that you you get serious and do business with, and all. But it's all different. It's just different people to me. Mm-hmm. And so, but growing up like that kind of thing happening to your family and ancestors, I don't know what that's like. You know, my family's Italian. Of course, they had their own thing coming over, but nothing like slavery. But as you are going on your journey now, I guess, how do you wrap that around your purpose and mission? Is it, it you just talked about that a little bit with the music, but like trying to bring everybody into your tribe, but also celebrating your heritage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understanding, like, you know, we always use the word racist. You know, racist has a very specific definition. So every human being has the possibility to hold prejudice or bigotry, you know, a prejudice or against something or someone and be bigoted or against something, that, and the other. But once your prejudice and your bigotry starts informing policy, the way that you are going not only to treat people, but you're going to have uh, treat an entire group or mass of people. Yeah. Um, that that's racism. So that's when we see words like systemic racism. You understand that these are policies that have been informed by people's bigotry, their prejudice, and these policies now are impacting a, cer- a certain group of people. In this particular instance, we're speaking about African Americans. Yeah. And so understanding that and trying to use my music and my art to truly address that. Uh, when I wrote the book, White People Talking to White People. It was meant for white people to have one conversation at a time with other white people, because so often when we have conversations regarding and centered around race and or racism, bigotry or prejudice, it seems as if it's an accusatory conversation. And the first knee jerk reaction, your ego is then hurt. And you're like, well, I want to prove that I am not, I am not racist. I'm not, not. Well, okay. Well, you may not be in a position where you have signed policies, but in this country, when we think of the majority, unfortunately, it's according to a racial, a racial majority, mm-hmm. because it's been a racial majority that also has been the people in charge of writing policies and laws yeah. for the most, for the majority of how long we've been a nation here in this particular country. So once you start realizing that, they're like, well, you know, I may have grown up poor and I'm white and I don't, I'm not racist. Well, okay, you may not be writing policies, you know, but you've seen it, you've been yeah. around it. And you would be a failed product of the school system if you do not uh, hold uh, some racist uh, leanings that's informed by prejudice and bigotry. Because the way our school system and the way the the textbooks have been written, uh, they have on purpose left out many of the contributions and the uh, inequity and all this other stuff that's there on purpose, you know, and so what we're doing now in the 21st century and in 2020 and 2021, people are trying to reprogram and relearn how to treat people and how to take what's been on the peripheral and put it in one's purview and start exercising mindfulness, not so that other people can be okay, but so that you may be a better person, more at peace, and that you can really strive even further toward reaching your full potential. Somebody, I, I remember I was, that, uh, I, I was, yeah, I was on stage. And I uh, had been talking to the vice president of diversity at Twitter. And I asked her, I said, what could I say during my show that could make maybe a CEO in the audience consider hiring more women? You know, when you are being mindful and your peripheral has been opened and all this stuff over here is now in front of you, you find new ways of being, of learning and offering opportunities and learning from 
other people as well. And you, you have a new opportunity to make your business and your network stronger when you have taken those things from the peripheral and put them in your mindfulness. I always tell people when, uh, during this time, people have asked me to do, help with diversity trainings and things of that nature. And I, I refuse to do a diversity training with a corporation unless they schedule four. They have to schedule four up front. Dude, the dude, first they gotta, is- They with, gotta be committed to do the work, right? Well, the first yeah. is with the CEO. The okay, first yeah. is with the CEO, one-on-one. And then two weeks, he has two weeks to digest what we've had. The next is with the board of directors. Then I gotta make sure the board is cool. After that, I need to talk to your executive team. And then by that time, our fourth should be with the entire corporation. But by this time, they've had a month or two to see things changing. And you yourself have created them the currency where you can have an open and honest discussion that you can see some transformative things happen within your corporation. If you want to know the culture and if a company really is about diversity and what the culture of this country, uh, the company is about, find the unpaid intern and whatever they deem important will be the culture of that corporation. If they, you find that they can't get work done and they're not diligent, well, the culture around there is not going to be diligent. If they're not really respectful and they're, they're chauvinistic against women, well, then that's the culture of the company. But if you find unpaid intern who's going to be mindful in speech, considerate, but also wanting to open up their worldview and to, to not see the problems in race or not associate a prejudice or bigot, a bigotry with a certain race. Well, that's the culture you'll find uh, in that company. I always tell people, don't tell me you don't see race. I want you to see all this chocolate goodness that yeah, I got. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody, think of, everybody sees it. It's, yeah. a, it's what you what Think you of do. it as a salad. Think of yep, it as a salad. Yep, Each yep. salad, you may have croutons, tomatoes, some carrots over here, maybe some chicken, egg, uh, and lettuce, romaine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you need all of them to have their unique flavors. Yeah. So this in the same way in a band, you had to have all mm. those things to make up that unique sound so that you can deliver this to the people in the same way with an audience. I don't want my audience to look the, all the same way. I yeah. want to feel their energy so that I can speak and I can learn while I'm on stage. But, from but let me ask you this question, because this just comes up in my mind. And I just transparent with this. But when somebody does that for hiring purposes, whether it's women or African-Americans, and they feel pressure to diversify, and they have somebody that's like, like as far as talent goes, somebody's better. And should they choose somebody that is a woman or African-American if they're slightly less talented or no. the, like, you know what I mean? So or if they're basically equal, they should choose the one, the woman, you know, like, how does that always, you should always choose the most qualified, but you only get the most quality qu- qualified. If you have truly opened up the position, right. To yeah, and interviewed everybody, a group, a group. Of, and yeah. also that. So for instance, I always tell people, if you're getting ready to go into a company, you're interviewing mm-hmm. and people feel like they don't have any power yeah. but as a, potential uh, hire or whatever. You have the most power at that moment. You have yep. the most power at that moment. And so I always ask, like, if you're going to be interviewed and you see that through your interview person process, you're not seeing one person of color or one woman, you at that point in time to say, well, where are they? Yeah. 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 Where, where are they at at this moment? And why are, why have I not seen them? Yep. yep. What is the diversity makeup in your company? And why is it like that? Yeah. And is your company welcoming? Is it a welcoming place? Is it not a toxic atmosphere for people of color or women to be in? Yeah, because they could say that they're diverse. I'm trying, I'm trying. But then when people come in, it's like really uncomfortable. So yeah. it's not a place that they would want to be, right? I get right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, you have to ask in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I hear people, you hear this a lot with tech companies in uh, Silicon Valley, 
well, we're just not finding many black applicants. Well, where are you putting your job postings at where black applicants may see them, you know? And then in the interview process, are you throwing away the applications of people whose names you can't pronounce or whose names you use prejudice and bigotry to say, okay, they may not be able to do what I yeah. need them to do. Shaka Dyson said that exactly. this morning or the, the, yesterday, I think he said it was like, he was like when a, a resume would fax over back in the day, he wouldn't do that. He would take his resume in person when they had an interview mm-hmm. and he would go to them in person and say, hey, I'm Shaka Dyson. Here's my resume. I'd like you to look at it so that they could actually see yep. him as a person instead of just that name, Shaka. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Well, I, I, yeah, I see that. that. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, look, I don't want to take up too much of your time, man, because I appreciate you being here. And you're you're a phenomenal person, man. And I I really enjoyed talking to you the last time and this time. One last question for you. And that is the rocket fuel concept I have is turning all setbacks, letdowns, difficulties, anything you go through that would normally stop people or slow them down, storing it in your tank to convert it to rocket fuel instead of your trunk where it weighs you down and blasting off way past your original position. What has that meant to you in your life? And what's it mean to you going forward? You know, even in this process that I've gone with recording this particular project, um, I set forth the set and I gave myself the leniency to a degree where any pivot I made would not be identified as a failure. Any change I needed to make, I did not look at as a potential setback, understood that whatever the universe has for me through this process, anything that caused me to pivot, the deal that I may not was able to get, actually, there's something far greater there for waiting for me. And so I'm glad. Thank you for the news. I think of that when the first job I had in Hollywood was as a telemarketer selling HGH over the phone. Right. And I used to at first I was frightened to get on the phone just to call and sell to begin with. But then what I got most excited for was the news because I can get rid of those. Let, Let me get past that. No, because after this particular no is my yes. And that yes is going to help me meet my quota. And before I knew it, I was positioning myself to be better put, better equipped to handle the no's, but to use that no as a motivation to get to that yes. And I mean, it felt good seeing my name on that leaderboard at the end of the week, every week, because I was accepting the no's. The no's came. That was fine. I loved the no's because they did not take up my time. They moved out of the way so I could focus my attention on the yeses I received. And I've tried, I've tried to take that with me wherever I've gone. I love that, man. Well said. Well said. One of the best explanations. I should put that in my book. It's too late now, but it- <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much, man. I know you're tired of wore out, man. And congratulations, I'm rooting for you. And if you ever need anything, just reach out to your boy C-Rock. I'll see you Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thursday. That's right. Yeah, on the radio show. I can't wait. Uh, You guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, Mike C-Rock. Come back. Keep coming back and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or YouTube, guys. If you want to watch it, Mike C-Rock, Scirocco on the YouTube channel. Go get that Rock if you book. MikeCrock.com forward slash book. MikeCrock.com forward slash book. Until next time. Be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you, that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCrock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCrock.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.